Hello, you're listening to The 30 Minute Expert, the podcast that aims to make you an expert on a chosen topic in 30 minutes. And this episode is designed to make you an expert on Sikhism. The Sikh religion was founded in northern India in the 15th century by Guru Nanak Dev Ji. There are 30 million Sikhs around the world, predominantly living in the Punjab state of India. But Sikh communities exist on every inhabited continent, with about 700,000 living in the US and almost half a million here in the UK. Here to make you an expert on the topic is Professor Eleanor Nesbitt, Emeritus Professor in Religions and Education at the University of Warwick. Hello. Hello. Uh, Professor Nesbitt, you're here today as our expert on Sikhism, but can you just give us a bit of information on your background uh, as to how you've risen to be the expert on the topic for us today? Well, my background was in the study of religion initially in the ancient world, and then my first teaching job was in North India. And nearly all my students were Punjabi, and half of those were Sikhs. And I knew nothing about Sikhism, and they couldn't tell me very much either. And then when I returned to the UK, to Coventry, once again, a lot of my students were Punjabi. And I was able to do a further degree at the University of Nottingham, uh, carrying out fieldwork amongst Sikh communities in Nottingham. And that really became the basis for my years of Uh, learning thereafter. Interestingly, at that time, there were not many people who were specialising academically in the study of Sikhism. And whenever I was asked to do something, for instance, to write entries for um, what became uh, the Oxford Dictionary of World Religions, instead of saying, no, I can't do it, I would always say, yes, I'll do the research and I'll carry it out. So each assignment I had built up my my knowledge and my also my contacts. And I've learned so much from the many, many Sikhs in different places and of different generations who've shared their time, shown hospitality and given me lots of information over the last four decades. The actual religion itself, what is it that the Sikh believe? What are their beliefs and where do they come from? It's an interesting question. Focusing on the beliefs of any community is very much the way that that people of a a Northern European Christian background have tended to look at other communities and other cultures. So I'll probably use words like insights, the Guru's insights and teachings and values and principles rather than beliefs. The first Guru, Guru Nanak, emphasised the oneness of being, the oneness of reality that often gets translated into there is one God but it's a, it's a deeper sort of unity within which there is all the manifest diversity of the world. And also an emphasis going right the way back to the time of the Gurus is the emphasis on seva, on service to others, voluntary service. And the Sikh tradition, religious tradition, is one of maintaining a fine balance between immersion in the world and its responsibilities and a centred contemplation, a meditative focus on what is ultimately real, on the divine. There is a statement at the beginning of the um, most widely accepted Sikh code of discipline, which says that Sikhs are those who believe in the one God and the and the ten gurus, and the Guru Granth Sahib being the scripture, which is today's embodiment of the guru or spiritual teacher. So it doesn't sound like it's built on centuries and centuries of adherence to a certain 
culture or code or way of life. Um, and the Sikh religion is 500 years old, which is quite young as religions go. Well, um, you say 500 years old. 500 years ago, Guru Nanak was about 50. But it wasn't that, that Guru Nanak or anybody else suddenly produced something called Sikhism. Sikhism, of course, is a Western word forged at about the same time as the words Buddhism and Hinduism because of this European way of parceling up cultures in order to understand them and doing so very much on the model of Judeo-Christian religion. But for Sikhs themselves, Sikh means learner. Over past centuries, other words have been used, basically meaning um, something to do with the guru, the teacher, rather than a, a Europeanism. So you have the you have Guru Nanak, who is a person who has a, a personal encounter with the divine, a transformative experience after which he goes about sharing his insights through poetry, which he sang to the accompaniment of instrumental music played by his Muslim companion. And yes, he he does establish a community of followers. You can call that Sikhism, but I prefer not to use the word Sikhism anachronistically for the the religious developments of 500 years ago. Um, and you mentioned Guru Nanak, um, but there were 10 gurus. So who, who are the gurus? In the Sikh context, Guru, always written with a capital G, means Guru Nanak and then his successor, who was not um, his son, it was not hereditary, it was the the follower who showed particular devotion to him, who became known as, as Guru Angad. So a particularly uh, important guru is Guru Gobind Singh. He was a a warrior saint, which is very much um, a Sikh ideal, being the person who is vigilant and ready for action, but is also grounded in spirituality. And Guru Gobind Singh was a poet. He wrote um, inspiring poetry, which is in a book called the Dasam Granth. And most importantly for the Sikh tradition, what he did in probably 1699 was establish what is known as the Khalsa, that is the community of Sikhs who are committed to their faith at great personal cost by maintaining external signs of that commitment and following a disciplined routine. And it was from then on that Sikhs believe the name Singh was part and parcel of being, um, being a Sikh. What Guru Gobind Singh also did, which is really important, is that in 1706, he completed the Guru Granth Sahib, the scripture, by incorporating the poetry of his father, Guru Tegh Bahadur. And then, just before his passing on, he announced to his followers that from then on there would not be a human guru. He was passing on the guruship to the Punt, the Sikh community, and the Grunt, the scripture. And from then on, the enthroned volume of scripture, the Grunt, has been the living guru for generations of Sikhs. It's a bit like the English word guide, where a guide can be a person and a guide can be a book in the same way, I suppose, uh, the guru 
is a person and also in the form of a volume of God's word. So Sikhs are monotheistic, so they believe there is only one God. Um, however, do they recognise the prophets of the gods of other religions? Well, you've used the word monotheistic, which again is one of these Western creations. And the foundational statement that Guru Nanak made, Ik Omkar, yes, it's usually translated as there is one God, but recent Sikh scholars have translated it as one being is, there is one reality, and so on. So you can see that it's not quite the the Semitic emphasis on one God, even though that's the simplest way of translating it. And you, you said you mentioned many gods, but yes, there are many names for God. But if you have a conviction of unity, you, you don't see the world in terms of there being many gods. And in the Sikh scripture, the names that are used for the divine reality include Allah, Khuda, Hari, Ram. They are words that were familiar to Muslims and Hindus, the, the words that simply conveyed the divine. I feel like in terms of uh, the, the labels and, and the language, I have kind of already in quite a short space of time got things wrong. But I suppose that's not a bad thing because this is probably how a lot of Western people would think and how they would see Sikhism. And, and you and I have only had a very brief conversation prior to this. So I think it's good to not so much fall into the traps, but present this as, as, as a Western uh, thinker. A, a Sikh who is living in Britain, how would the average day differ from a, a non-Sikh in terms of rituals or schedule or, or lifestyle? I think that in all communities, the difference tends to be between the generations. For those Sikhs who are particularly devout, there will be a framework of early morning, early evening and late evening recitation or listening to uh, particular passages of scripture which form the the daily prayer structure for each day but that's going to be a minority of, of Sikhs who are ab actually committing that time to it it will include certainly those Sikhs who are initiated who are what we call Khalsa Sikhs who are visibly um, Sikh certainly in the case of men you know wearing the turban and with the full beard and increasingly in the case of women wearing a, a turban um, and certainly having the the five outward signs of commitment to the Sikh faith. Interestingly, the turban is not one of them. It's the respectable, respected way of covering the kish, which is the untrimmed, uncut hair. But as well as the kish, there's the, um, there's the comb, usually a little wooden comb of a traditional design, which keeps the hair tidy, um, and which is called a kanga. And then there is the kara, which is a bangle in terms of its form, and it's made of either steel or iron, and it's usually worn on the right wrist. There's the um, kashara, or often it's called a kach, which is a pair of shorts, cotton, white, worn they're above the knee, then they, they're not long trousers. Uh, they can be worn as an outside garment, but they are usually covered by trousers or whatever and are regarded as underwear, which are one of the, the signs. And then also there's the kirpan, which is a sword about four inches long, 
Um, but of course, Kirpan can also be a much longer sword, which would be used for more ceremonial occasions in Sikh processions at the time of a religious festival, for example. And all of these, because they begin with Kaka, the, the Punjabi letter K, that's why they are known collectively as the five Ks. What is forbidden in Sikhism? As far as the gurus were concerned, the, the five weaknesses, or sometimes called the five thieves, are um, calm, crawled, love, more hankar. So that means um, lust and anger um, and covetousness and materialism. Those are tendencies to be withstood. As far as the Sikh code of discipline goes, the pro- prohibitions that are mentioned are hair cutting, removal of hair, and obviously not all Sikhs maintain that, but Khalsa initiated Sikhs are committed to it. Um, abstinence from tobacco is required um, and other intoxicants. But there again, you have a situation which we're all in where there are pulls between a religious principle and cultural pressures and so many, many Sikh, particularly Sikh men, of course, do drink, but strictly speaking, and this would apply and be followed strictly by the initiated Sikhs, um, intoxicants of all sorts are included in the ban. Another taboo is halal meat or kosher meat, meat that is the meat of animals that have been slaughtered according to the um, conventions of a different religious tradition. But many Sikhs, and particularly initiated Sikhs, would say that meat itself, non-vegetarian food, is forbidden. There is there is difference of opinion over that. And then the other kurahit or prohibition is adultery. Um, but what I think is even more important than what is forbidden is, of course, what is urged, what is emphasised, and that is the focus on the one divine being rather than being distracted by outward religious practice. It's it's the emphasis on a spiritual integrity combined with an active service of humanity. Some of the kind of more contentious um, and sort of hotly debated things uh, in other world religions would be sexual orientation and also the, the place of men and women uh, in society. Uh, what do the Sikh believe when it comes to these issues? The culture... Um, involves a quite a patriarchal sort of society and an emphasis on uh, married life, heterosexual married life. In terms of religious teaching, it's clear from the guru's emphasis that that is on equality. Uh, And in terms of the spiritual journey, male and female are equal. So I think it would be fair to deduce from that that whatever somebody's sexual orientation, there is an inherent equality in human beings. But like I've said, there there are often cultural prejudices or differences from from that in practice. Um, And there's considerably more thought now about Sikhism and other faiths in relation to matters of sexual orientation than there ever was in the time when scriptures were being composed and formulated centuries ago. As far as men and women are concerned, people will often quite proudly say this is a religion of equality. 
And it's quite striking if you come from some sorts of Christian tradition and you go into the Gurdwara and you see a woman uh, perhaps reading the scriptures publicly. Uh, it was very striking at times when there were no women Church of England priests, for instance. But there is still a, a tendency for, you know, there to be gender roles within families. And that's nothing specific to Sikhs. That's a cross-cultural phenomenon. You mentioned the reading in the uh, the Gurdwara. It's it's more than just a place of worship and a place to, to pray and, and read, isn't it? Yes, its very name shows that. Gurdwara, it's the doorway or the threshold of the Guru. Um, it's called a Gurdwara by virtue of the fact that the Guru, in the form now of the Guru Granth Sahib, is resident there. Therefore, a place for Sikhs to learn from their teacher but the Gurdwara is the place for congregation, for gathering together, for hearing and singing uh, the praise of God and the Guru through the verses of the Guru Granth Sahib. Hearing Katha, that's exposition, perhaps by a, a learned person, um, an interpretation of the scripture. It's the place of the Langar, which is the Alangar is a word that's impossible to translate because langar means the food that's eaten in the Gurdwara. It means the place where it's prepared. It means the the area where it's eaten. It means the institution of free vegetarian hospitality for everybody who comes. And interestingly, particularly at the moment, that langar has been spilling out into the streets, into uh food for the homeless and f helping in food banks and all manner of food-based social service in wider society. In the Gurdwara itself, there are often classes for children in Punjabi language, sometimes in music, the harmonium and the tabla, particularly the, the pair of drums, and singing the, um, the religious, the devotional music. And also there may be lectures about um, Sikh history. So those are some of the activities. Some Gurdwaras, you know, they, they contain advice centres. They might run English classes for those who need more help with their English. Um, I remember in India, the local Gurdwara having a homeopathic clinic in it. So the Gurdwara is very much a community centre, but with a, a, a strong uh, religious basis. I suppose all religions at some point will suffer persecution and oppression from outside influences and other belief structures. Has there been a lot of oppression towards Sikhs? Well, if you go to a Gurdwara, you're quite likely to see fairly horrifying pictures of Sikhs being martyred by being scalped or sawn in half. Or, um, or for that matter, some of the um, deaths of Sikhs in the 20th century, which are regarded as martyrdom so the oppression that would be identified through those pictures would be uh, during Mughal rule in India particularly in the 18th century so at the time of of rule by Muslim leaders and then in the 20th century at a time of um, violent disagreement um, which climaxed, I suppose, in the ordering of Indian troops 
in, into the Golden Temple, the most sacred premises in Amritsar. And sadly, this often gets very simplified down into Hindus against Sikhs. Um, this is one of the things which is concerning that sometimes history is reduced into very stark um, division between different religiously labeled communities, despite the whole thrust towards interfaith unity that, that you can find in the Guru's teaching and in the very texture of the Guru Granth Sahib with its diversity of, of contributors. Um, but then also, and this is ironic, since 9-11, many Sikhs have been targeted, turban-wearing bearded Sikhs have been targeted with hate crimes. The first death in America as a reprisal for 9-11 was the killing of a Sikh petrol pump owner. And that was because of the widespread confusion, assuming that the Sikh turban, the really distinctive Sikh marker, was actually an indication of Islamist extremism because of the sort of pictures there were of Osama bin Laden. So Sikhs have had to cope with this extra prejudice, which was directed through Islamophobia, but actually they were the ones who, who suffered from it. Is it a growing religion or is it static or is it losing influence? Well, it, it has to be growing in numbers uh, simply because of natural expansion through people having children. But having said that it's growing in numbers doesn't mean that the percentage in India is increasing. The, the vast majority of Sikhs still live in India. But whereas um, in 2001, they were 1.9% of the population, by 2011, the census then, they were 1.7% of the population. That's partly because of out-migration. So there is a bigger and bigger diaspora um, with Sikh communities that are probably soon going to be half a million um, in the UK, in the United States and in Canada. And although the population in Australia is much smaller, in Australia I've read that Sikhism is the fastest growing religion, presumably because of migration in. Um, and in terms of influence, well, I think the fact that Sikhs have been so high profile in providing food for those in need of, of food in Britain and in other countries, I think that means that they are becoming better and better known. And also uh, the fact of, you know, Sikhs in parliament, in government in this country. For example, we have a turban Sikh MP for Slough, um, Tanmanjit Singh. In Canada, there are more Sikhs in government than there are in India. So uh, I certainly see Sikhs as becoming higher profile, partly as well because of um, increasing availability of the Guru Granth Sahib or parts of it in English language, and partly because it is a faith which has such a universal impulse to it. it. It is a faith that transcends ethnic boundaries, even though by historical accident, it's almost completely Punjabi. But that's, of course, because having that sort of universalist approach, not going out to convert, it hasn't become ethnically diverse in the way in which Christianity has 
Is there anything else an expert on Sikhism should know? They should know how to say, how to greet a Sikh respectfully. They should know how to say, Satsriyakal, timeless truth is Lord. Satsriyakal is like, hello or namaste. Um, I think that that is a good thing to know. I think it's good to know that you can pretty reliably guess that a family are Sikh if the women have Kaur or the letter K as an initial for their second name, which may well serve as their surname, and the men have either a middle name of Singh or their second name is their surname, Singh. Not all Singhs are Sikh, but in a country like Britain, the vast, vast majority of Singhs will be Sikh. And I think it is important to know that many, many Sikhs see being Sikh and being Punjabi as almost synonymous. Uh, Sikhs tend to have great pride in Punjabi culture, Punjabi history, and feeling for the land, for the small holdings very often, that, that their family still have in Punjab. And then people ask about festivals. Well, Guru Nanak's birthday, for example, which is usually celebrated in November, um, and many Sikhs celebrate with processions and so forth at the time of Vesakhi, usually around April the 13th or 14th. Um, so, yeah, I think that's important. If you'd like to take a, a deeper dive, Professor Nesbitt has written Sikhism, a very short introduction, which is available in both paperback and digital editions through Oxford University Press. And you're working on a new project right now too, I believe. Yes. Yes, the project at the moment is sharing what Western women have written about Sikhs over a 200-year period and also their often very beautiful paintings and photographs. And the women concerned include Queen Victoria uh, and J.K. Rowling, whose first novel for um, a grown-up readership has Sikh women as central characters. Sikh, Two Centuries of Western Women's Art and Writing will be published by Kashi House in September 2020, and it is full of beautiful illustrations. Do keep an eye out for that one. Uh, the best of luck with your future endeavours, and thank you very much for your time today, Professor Eleanor Nesbitt, Emeritus Professor in Religions and Education at the University of Warwick. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The 30 Minute Expert, the podcast that aims to make you an expert on a chosen topic in 30 minutes. Information on new episodes can be found, as always, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search 30 Minute Expert. That's 30 Minute Expert. You can also suggest topics for future podcasts. Just let me know what you'd like to become an expert at in half an hour or less.